we're on our last lesson of First Peter. Um, it's chapter five, four. Let's see, what is it? Eight through fourteen, and we're going to finish that up today, and then we'll start Second Peter next week. Well, let's open in prayer. Father, we just thank you so much for your word and the truth of it, Lord, and the power of it. And we just ask that you would just oh, let it penetrate our hearts and our bodies and our minds, Lord, and that we would walk in a manner worthy of your gospel and please you in everything that we say and do and think for your glory, Lord, and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, if we were in class, we'd be singing Crowning with Many Crowns, which is a great one. This just elevates Christ. Um, but let's start off by reading 1 Peter 5, 8 through 11. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself Restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Lean hard upon me, Francis J. Roberts writes this as if she were writing from Jesus' point of view. Lean hard upon me, for I bring you through to new victories, and restoration shall follow what seems to be a wind of destruction. Have you ever been there? I have. Hold fast to my hand and rest in my love, for of this you may be very certain. My love is unaltered. Yes, I have you in my own intensive care. My concern for you is deeper now than when things are normal. Draw upon the resources of my grace, and so shall you be equipped to communicate peace and confidence to your dear ones. Heaven rejoices when you go through trials with a singing spirit. Your father's heart is cheered when you endure the test and do not question his mercy or his love. Be like a beacon light. His own glorious radiance shall shine through you, and Christ himself will be revealed. Spurgeon writes, Whatever may be the machinations and devices of the enemies of God's people, there is still the same effectual barrier to thwart their design. The saints are God's heritage. And he is in the midst of them and will protect his own. What comfort this yields us in our troubled and spiritual conflicts. We are constantly opposed and yet perpetually preserved. A saint never yet had a virtue or a grace which was not the target of hellish bullets. Expect it. Expect opposition. Whether it was a bright hope and sparkling or love warm and fervent or patience, or all enduring, or zeal, flaming like coals of fire, the old enemy of everything that is good has tried to destroy it. He will try to quench it. The only reason why anything virtuous or lovely survives in us is this. The Lord was there. He is our strength and our power. In this section, Peter warns us to be alert. Flesh will fail you, by the way. While our confidence is in God and not in ourselves, we are not to be careless either. Satan is a real being, a malignant personality, the bitter enemy of God and man. When we refuse to give place to the devil, standing firm in the power of the Spirit, he will flee from us, and his power is broken. 
We are to stand fat, steadfast in the faith. And this is one of, of, of standing steadfast without vacillation. Because I found if I give myself an out, I will normally take it. And, and, and to my dis, demise. Remember, when we play with fire, we're going to get burned. Christians in conflict are to stand firm and be ever aware, made strong and steadfast by Christ himself. We are to be constantly alert because the enemy of our souls, the devil, Satan, is always actively seeking an opportunity for a vicious attack. You're never safe from this. He can get you through pride. He can get you through all kinds of doors. It's like a city whose walls are broken down as a man who lacks self-control. And he's looking for the breaches in those walls of self-control. And he's a good shot. He is both a good study and a good shot. And he's ever seeking to defeat the believer's testimony. If he can't keep you from being saved, he's going to keep you from being used um, greatly. <laughs> and every time we fall for his tactics, he comes back to us, loading us down with guilt and shame, often rendering us frozen to go forward. Guilt and shame are two of Satan's most used tools, keeping us from running to the cross of sweet Jesus for forgiveness and cleansing us and making us whole again. In Spurgeon's morning and evening... He writes, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. In Matthew 4, 1. Holy character doesn't avert temptation. Jesus was tempted. When Satan tempts us, his sparks fall upon tinder. But in Christ's case, it was like a striking sparks on water. Yet the enemy continued his evil work. Now if the devil goes on striking when there is no result, how much more will he do it when he knows what inflammable stuff our hearts are made of? Amen to that. Though you become greatly sanctified by the Holy Spirit, expect that the great dog of hell will bark at you still. In the haunts of men, we expect to be tempted, but even seclusion will not guard us from the same trial. Jesus Christ was led away from human society into the wilderness where he was tempted and was tempted by the devil. Solitude has its charms and its benefits and may be useful in checking the lust of the eye and the pride of life, but the devil will follow us into the most lovely retreats. He can start making us think that we're better than other people because we are in these retreats or we're foregoing other things. Pride can, is an insidious monster and it comes upon us before we even know it. Don't suppose that it is only the worldly-minded who have dreadful thoughts and blasphemous temptations, for even spiritually-minded persons endure the same. And in the holiest positions, we may allow the darkest temptations. The utmost consecration of spirit will not ensure you against satanic temptation. Christ is consecrated through and through. It was his meat and drink to do the will of him that sent him. Is it your meat and drink to do the will of him who sent you? It's a, it's a resolution of mind. And yet he was tempted. Your hearts may glow with a ser seraphic flame of love to Jesus, and yet the devil will try to bring you down to laudation lukewarmness, which God's, Jesus says, I want to spit you out of my mouth in this lukewarm stage. I wish you were either hot or cold. If you will tell me when God permits Christians to lay aside their armor, I will tell you when Satan has given up temptations. 
Like the old knights in times of battle, we must sleep with helmets and breastplate buckled on, for the arch deceiver will seize our first unguided, unguarded hour to make us his prey. The Lord keep us watchful in all seasons and give us a final escape from the jaw of the lion and the paw of the bear. Paul tells us in Ephesians, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take a stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day, not if, when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, and the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Which, which he's, he goes back, we can go back to say in 16, and in addition, take up the shield of faith, which can extinguish all, not just some, but all the flaming arrows of the evil one. The term translated devil schemes is from the Greek word methodia, meaning the following or pursuing of an orderly and technical procedure in the handling of a subject. Just as the Lord has a plan for our lives, so too Satan does. Therefore, we are to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Scripture tells us, like a verse I just quoted, like a city whose, whose walls are broken down is a man who acts self-control. The city's walls were their protection. Without them, the city was vulnerable, open to all of the enemy attacks. Similarly, around our lives is a figurative wall of self-control. We are to be ever fortifying the breaches in our walls, searching for our weaknesses and bolstering them as the city leaders would have been doing in the ancient times in their literal city walls. We bolster our walls of self-control up in many ways, a few of which are staying near to the cross, confession, repentance, quick repentance when we fall, being in the word, which is an obvious one, and in prayer, Another obvious, setting our hearts and minds on things above, not on earthly things, and living our lives for an audience of one. Who do you aim to please? If you aim to please Jesus, everything else will fall right underneath that. Also, we're not willingly to allow ourselves to be placed in arenas that would be overwhelmingly tempting. People put themselves in situations oftentimes that are just, they're prone to fall, run to wander where I feel it because they, they put themselves in these situations it's like we said before, we don't want to play with fire we don't want to tempt ourselves it's like going to a donut shop when you're dieting, also God has promised us a door of escape when things come our way, we do not have to wallow in sin or fall for Satan's tactics, he has promised us that promise in 1 Corinthians 10 13 that no temptation not one, no temptation has ever come upon anybody, has seized you, except what is common to man. And God is faithful. 
He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. He won't let you do it. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Look for that door of escape. Think Joseph and Potiphar's wife. Such a great example of this, I think we would all benefit from its read. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered, and he lived in the house of the Egyptian of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything that he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household. He blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So he left in Joseph's care everything he had. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well built and handsome, and after a while his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, My master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in his house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you were his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Not sin against Potiphar, but sin against God. His, his, his mind was set right. And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her, even be with her. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants were inside. She caught him by the cloak and said, Come to bed with me. But he left the cloak in, his, in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand, and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to him, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak inside and ran out of the house. She kept the cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told him the story. That Hebrew slave you brought left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house when I screamed for help because he came to make sport of me. But when his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, This is how this slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison He put in a place, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. I always, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all that he had in prison. And he was made responsible for all that was done there. See God's eyes. There is, there is purpose in everything. Joseph's story is so amazing. If you, want to, if you want to realize what purpose there is in the hard, you should read the full story of Joseph. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. I got to reading fast. I'm sure I messed up some of that. But anyway, the gist of it was right. Remember, ladies, an undisciplined person who lacks self-control remains vulnerable to trouble. Don't be undisciplined in your life. Satan can be and should be resisted through the Holy Spirit's power. 
we have been given the power to resist him. Resist him in verse 9 means to withstand, which is a term of defense rather than attack. We must remember that in our flesh, we are no match for Satan and his many minions. Even the archangel Michael did not dare to bring a slanderous accusation against him. We read in Jude, in the very same way these dreamers pollute their own bodies, they reject authority and slander celestial beings. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not dare to bring a slanderous accusation against him but said, The Lord rebuke you. Yet these men speak abusively against whatever they do not understand, and what the things that they do understand by instinct, like unreasoning animals, these are the very things that destroy them. It's Jude 1, 8 through 10. Christians may stand firm against Satan only if they depend wholly on Christ, standing firm in the faith, in his power, not their own. You, even the strongest Christians fall in their own power. Peter, when he denied the Lord three times, is a perfect example of that. Peter also encouraged his readers by reminding them that they were not alone in their sufferings. The knowledge that other Christians throughout the world were suffering would strengthen their resolve to continue to stand firm in their faith. Peter also encouraged his readers to endure suffering in such a way that the grace of God would be made manifest in their lives. When we're suffering, when we're in tribulation, we're, when we're in situations that we believe are far beyond our ability to endure, do we manifest Christ in our lives? When we're undergoing all this pain and suffering, we are to hold fast in the faith. We are to depend upon our Lord and His strength and His grace sufficient that will meet our needs. We are experiencing every single need. He is always faithful. The world takes notice of our actions because they are so otherworldly. That's our point. It's like, what makes you do that? And you can say, do you know Jesus? This opens up opportunities for discipleship. In the closing word of benediction, Peter committed the believers to the God of all grace. The benediction briefly summarizes Peter's message of encouragement. Christian sufferings will last only a little while. Well, it seems like a long time. In the perspective of eternity, it's only a little while. While their glory in Christ, to which they are called, would be eternal. God's plan is that his children grow through suffering. He wants to strengthen us like the oak tree with the harsh winds, get stronger with their roots. When, we, when they have the storms, that's what the storms do to our, are to do to our lives, are to strengthen us. They are to give us a hope and a future. It is through this that conformity to Christ is carried out. Also remember, there are abundant stores of grace from which we may draw freely for strength to meet every emergency as we pursue our pilgrim way. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians, Therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly, we're wasting away. Yet inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes on what is seen, not what is unseen. No, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. I said that wrong. 
So we fix our eyes on what is seen, not as what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. That's 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. In Romans, Paul also states, Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And Paul is the one that's writing this. Paul, who was suffering tribulations far beyond his ability to endure. And he says, they're not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. God himself will one day restore us, making us strong, firm, and steadfast, which is established. And again, uh, in, in uh, Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, he writes, After you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. The verse we just read. You have seen the ark of heaven as it spans the plain. Its colors and glorious and its hues are rare. It is beautiful, but alas, it passes away, and lo, it is no more. The fair colors give way to the fleecy clouds, and the sky is no longer brilliant with the tints of heaven. It is not established. How can it be? A glorious show made up of transitory beams and passing raindrops. How can it abide? The graces of the Christian character must not resemble the rainbow in its transitory beauty, but, on the contrary, must be strong, firm, steadfast. Seek, O believer, that every good thing you have may be an abiding thing. May your character not be a writing upon the sand, but an inscription upon the rock. May your faith be no baseless fabric of a vision, but may it be built of material able to endure that awful fire which will consume the wood, hay, and stubble of the hypocrite. May you be rooted and grounded in love. May your convictions be deep, your love real, your desires earnest. May your whole life be so firm and strong that all the blasts of hell and all the storms of earth shall never be able to remove you. But notice how this blessing of being strong in the faith is gained. The apostles' words point us to suffering as the means employed after you have suffered a little while. It is of no use to hope that we shall be well-rooted if no rough wind pass over us. Those old knots on the root of the oak tree and those strange twistings of the branches all tell of the many storms that have swept over it. And they are also indicators of the depth into which the roots have forced their way. So the Christian is made strong and firmly rooted by all the trials and storms of life. Therefore, do not shrink from the tempestuous winds of trial, but take comfort believing that by their rough discipline, God is fulfilling this benediction to you. In, in his benediction, Peter praises Christ, who is all power for all time, as Paul similarly states in Romans in 11.36. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Christ certainly has the power to strengthen his own as they undergo persecution. And as Piper writes, the one who gives the power gets the glory. All praise to his name. In Peter 5, 12 through 14, he states, With the help of Silas, whom I 
whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. She who is Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Silas had served Peter with the writing of taking dictation and probably personally delivered the letter to the church of Asia, churches in Asia Minor. This was most probable the same Silas who had accompanied Paul in his second missionary journey. Peter now appears to have penned these last two verses himself. His intended purpose was for his words to encourage the saints to continue to endure persecution and to stand fast through the Holy Spirit's power so that the true grace of God would be evidence to the unbelieving watching world. And the world does watch. That unbelieving world watches us. Since Peter was writing to churches, probably she refers to the church, which is a feminine pronoun. If so, Peter was sending greetings from the church in Babylon to the churches in Asia Minor. According to the historical evidence, Peter was in Rome during the final years of his life. Babylon here might be a disguised reference to Rome used in order to protect both the Roman church and Peter from the Neronian persecution. Others suggest, however, that he wrote from this literal city of Babylon on the Euphrates River. Greetings were also sent from Peter's son in the faith, Mark. Paul placed John Mark in Rome on an earlier occasion. Consequently, most would agree that John Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, was in Rome at the time 1 Peter was written. This strengthens the view that Babylon referred to Rome. Greeting one another with a kiss indicates that it was a common sign of fellowship among Christian love. Paul writes in Romans, Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ sing greetings. Peter closed this letter as he had begun it by encouraging Christians in the midst of their persecution. Peter's words of encouragement are just as applicable to us as modern-day believers. Because pain is pain, no matter what generation you live in. It's not hard to get buried under the problems of the heartaches of life. So much so where you feel like you can't endure. Peter calls us to focus on the grace of God and stand fast in it. And he causes us to stand because he is faithful and he is able to cause us to stand. It is as if Peter is calling us to lay down our burdens and pick up his grace. He's got a gift. Jesus has a gift for us in our walking through these trials. It doesn't make the pain go away. But he, he elevates us through the pain. The grace of God enables the believer to triumph in all circumstances as he bestows the grace sufficient to meet each need we have. You don't have the need. You don't have the grace at the time. As we are told in Matthew by our Lord himself, come to me, come to me, he's begging, come to me. All you are weary and burdened, and I will, I will give you rest. I love the I wills of God. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, because I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for yourselves, for my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. How, will, how we all need the encouragement and the peace of Christ. He prayed for their peace, which is abundantly available to all of us who are in Christ, the Prince of Peace. He tells us when he, in John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you to as the world gives. 
Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. His peace is unworldly. You will keep in perfect peace, Isaiah 26, 3 says, him whose mind is steadfast, like we were talking about, a firm resolve fixed on him because he trusts in you. And John 16, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Father, we just thank you. We do take heart that you've overcome the world. We do take heart that you triumph over every everything. And we can turn to you for the grace sufficient to meet every need we have, Lord. And we have many. And we just thank you that you are the, the, the grace giver and the need needer. <laughs> I just thank you, Lord, that you just meet our needs. And we just ask that we lean on you. And that we would trust in you for this with a firm resolve. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.